My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. What are some of the zany things people say to strangers upon learning they work in sexuality? How can you feel sexy and invite more pleasure no matter what your shape or size? And what should you have learned about erotic anatomy? Or maybe that erotic anatomy is a thing. And probably didn't. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so pleased to have two phenomenal experts in the studio with me today to explore these topics and more. Speaking of more, remember to sign up for episode extras I send out monthly at augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. Elle Chase is a certified sex educator, body acceptance activist, and author of Curvy Girl Sex, 101 Body Positive Positions to Empower Your Sex Life. She's also the founder and director of education for the Los Angeles Academy of Sex Education and the creator of two amazing award-winning websites, LadyCheeky.com and SmutForSmarties.com. Cindy Darnell is here all the way from Australia, and she's a leading sexuality expert there who has all kinds of amazing online options as well. She teaches in-person workshops. She's a therapist and a writer and so much more. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for being here. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that you both educate adults on sexuality, which is so important. I'm curious what you learned growing up. Cindy, what about Mm. you? My sex education was pretty uh, non-existent, I have to say. We didn't really learn much. I know when I was in um, what we call year nine, so I was about around about 15, um, we were forced to watch a video of a woman giving birth. And I remember being horrified. Like it was the full view of not just, you know, implied you know, passage. It was the actual viewing of the crowning and the whole thing. And I remember it shaking me to my core. And that was kind of the sex education that I had. What about you, Al? I didn't have any. And it's weird because my parents didn't, you know, they they weren't uh, odd about sex. My dad is, is a scientist, so he's very clinical, you know. Um, do you have to urinate? You know, it's not like do you have to pay. <laughs> so... Um, awesome. I learned um, I learned how babies were made at school. Um, I went to a K through 12 school. One of the 12th graders um, took on a blackboard and actually taught us how everything was done. And some of the other kids, I think I was six, and I think some of the other kids' parents got very upset. And my mother said, oh, thank God that's done. So... <laughs> Wow. Just once. It only yeah. happens once. It only and then happens it's done. once. It's done. Then, then she doesn't have to tell me anything else, no. right? No, of course not. Right. There's nothing else to tell. No, there's nothing else more than that. <laughs> so tell us about, it's interesting too, that it doesn't matter what continent you're on. It seems mm. that that's a really common, nothing, something limited or something yeah. really bizarre, but usually something scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you remember the moment or the time of life when you recognize that I want to pursue sexuality as a career? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was, I didn't really even know that it was an option. And, and it, it, it really only has become an option for me in a, in a um, sustainable sense in the last 10 to 12 years. But I, when I was in my very, very early 20s, I had the pleasure of um, meeting Annie Sprinkle and, and Barbara Carellas. And Barbara Carellas' um, work transformed my life. So the last 25 years, I had the pleasure of being mentored by Barbara Carellas, which has been phenomenal for me. So I knew that I always wanted to work in sexuality, but those options weren't necessarily available all those years ago um, in the ways that they are now. So that was, I've had that knowledge from a very, very young age. And I was really blessed to have met women like that at such a young age to mentor and carry me through 
to the work that I do today. I wouldn't be doing it if it weren't for them. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And now you're both paving the way in Mm. so many ways for other educators and sexologists. What about you, Al? Do you remember the Um, beginning? I I do. I mean, I was already doing my porn site, uh, ladycheeky.com, and people were asking me questions. And I'm like, why the hell are you asking me? I'm just putting nasty pictures up, you know, or dirty pictures up. And um, I started researching them because I wanted to give them good answers, you know. Uh, And I started just finding that I just, I couldn't stop reading. And that's all I wanted to do. And I was sort of not doing my regular job. I was just sort of doing that all the time. (laughs) And, um, and uh, then I went and I, I decided to get certified. So there you go. There you have it. It's amazing how much starting a conversation unintentionally, but people seem to be more comfortable in many ways, just approaching somebody that they saw something, you know, versus might feel intimidated raising their hand in that class where they just mm-hmm. saw a, a vagina and a head coming out of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? For example. For example. <laughs> if that should happen. Uh, so I would love to hear. I was in New York City and I interviewed uh, Dr. Megan Fleming, who's a clinical psychologist, and she's our resident sex and relationship expert who weighs in on the show every week. And uh, Kate Scalisi, who's also a sex educator and wonderful. Yeah. yeah, she's lovely. And uh, we chatted for a while. I'm going to share the full uh, interview soon. But I loved what they had to say about the reactions people have. You know, you're on the subway or you're walking down the street and someone's like, how are you? What do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And they're kind of like, you what? Uh, <laughs> so here's what Kate had to say. A lot of times people either introduce me as a sex therapist or a sex worker. And I, I always have to kind of differentiate that those are three different careers and they're all fantastic and I'm very supportive of all of them but those would be the two most common kind of where they place me and it's interesting it's always a good reminder to me that the field of sex education is firmly viewed as something that's in high schools that you teach to teens and that if you're as soon as they hear sex they go straight to therapy or work and that they just don't even know that this exists. So it's a good it's a good humbling reminder for me to keep doing this work. Yeah, total affirmation that this is also needed. And Dr. Megan had this to say. For me, it's interesting, um, you know, because again, my website's Great Life, Great Sex, that they call and they're like, do you do couples therapy? And I'm like, oh, like, of course I do, you know? <laughs> and it just seems so odd, you know, in some ways that that doesn't come across. But I think overall, uh, for anybody's listening, it's just a sense of how do we take the stigma out? Because when it comes to coming to quote unquote therapy, I can tell you the guys that come to me and women and couples, but like the it's their gynecologist, the urologist, maybe it's the therapist. They've had that recommendation often for months and maybe been referred by different individuals, you know, several different referrals. And I think they feel it's sort of like last stop, like it's like, it's the last thing they want to do and the last place they want to be. And yet inevitably, I think at the end of even that first consult, they're like, there's like that big exhale. Cause like something they've been holding all to themselves mostly, it's a space to talk about. And there's like next steps and there's something actionable. And I think there's that sense of hope and help is just, you know, it, it, it transcends everything. I love it. Thank you so much. Again, Dr. Megan's website is Great Life, Great Sex. We just realized Cindy and I are both wearing our glitter rings. Yay. I feel so left out. Yeah, I was flipping the bird and I was hoping that you weren't offended by realizing oh gosh, what I was I doing. I know. I rub it all the time too. I'm just sitting here. It's very relaxing. Yes. I love rubbing mine too. Right? It is. It's like a, kind of like a stress ring, which yeah, yeah. kind of fits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. kind of does. You should, you should have a rub of it later. I, I'll have a which rub of it later. Which is actually a great way too when you are meeting somebody. You know, yeah. Would you like to rub my clitoris? Yeah. Yeah. Or I say that all the time. Like, what in the heck is that? Or people <laughs> usually it's a, I've gotten a lot of compliments on the ring mm-hmm. from, you know, a guy will come up and be like, that's really cool. What is it? And when I say it, they don't uh, when I say it's a clitoris, it's anatomically correct, blah, blah. blah they just are kind of. <laughs> horrified or something or yeah. just I just not expecting that yeah. response mm-hmm. um, yeah. so I do think it's a great conversation yes piece. so how do people <laughs> respond when you tell them or do you tell them right away what I you don't do? always tell them right away because then you have to explain it and if you're not in the mood it's a lot of labor mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what I get when I do tell people I'm a sex educator because um, really that's what I do like Cindy's a therapist mm. um, but uh, they say, oh, really? And then there's a pause and they say, where? Like, mm. 
they can't understand where that would ever be taught. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I get the most. And I say, well, you know, I teach adults and I'll do it at adult stores or I do it through the academy or um, I'll be hired to do it at colleges or whatever. And they're just sort of, wow, they can't believe, just like Kate said, they can't believe that it's actually a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. is really fascinating. Because again, a lot of people didn't learn anything. So it's kind of like, if you never knew shoes existed, then you're like, well, where do I put that? There's no compartment. There's no frame of reference. Yeah, Yeah. it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah, what about you, Cindy? Um, So, uh, because I am a sex therapist, and that's what I'm mostly known for, it depends on the context. I mean, if I'm in a social context... Um, like at a dinner party, um, sometimes I will just water it down and I'll just say I'm a therapist and it just kind of, that's nothing, you know. But if I say, or if they push me and they go, oh, what kind of therapist? And depending on the company I'm in, I may or may not disclose. And then if I do actually say sex therapist, there's usually two reactions. One is absolute silence. (laughs) So remember that that's Australia because it's a, you know, there's a little bit of a British hangover there. So there's an element of conservatism that that goes on in Australia. So there's either absolute silence or they will start telling me all about their sex problems and their, you know, herpes battles and, you know, all the stuff. (laughs) And I'm just like, oh, really? I'm not on the clock now. Can we, you know, I don't want to hear about it actually, you know. So, um so people are either horrified or they will give out so much information that it's actually a crossing a boundary for me. Yeah. So that's that's mm. interesting. People just don't know how to navigate this yeah. stuff. They've been mm. learned it, which is why your work is important, but mm. it also shouldn't be this burden where like you have to constantly be educating. Yeah. It's almost like you should just hand them the flyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Here's my business card. Yeah, I'm really. teaching a class yeah. next week or yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so Elle, I love your activism and your book, I know, features positions specifically for people who are curvy and Mm -hmm. larger in size and also a various flexibility, as I understand it. Yes, a various, definitely a various flexibility. And I read that you went through your own personal journey, so Mm -hmm. you know about it from the sex educator perspective and also personally, but I don't know what that experience was. So could you tell us a little bit about your own journey to accepting your sexuality and your size? And Yeah, physique? it was, it, you know, I, I left my husband and I had gained weight. I, I haven't always been a large woman. And um, I had gained weight and I hadn't dated at this weight. And I think I was so starved for passion and sex and wanting to know what good sex was that my weight and what I looked like sort of took um, a back seat to my need for for um, intimacy. And so uh, so I started, you know, just fucking anything that walked. <laughs> Anytime I wanted to have sex, I was having sex. I was doing whatever I wanted to do, and it was great. And I sort of had this revolution in, in my brain about, uh, wow, so... People like different things. They really do. It's not just something that someone says, oh, there's someone for everybody. It's people have different tastes. Some people liked my body. Some people didn't care about my body. Some people, you know, just wanted to have sex. You know, it, they're just like we all have moods, you know? Exactly. Um, so, uh, so, yeah. So that was sort of my, my journey. And I'm heavier now than I was then. So having sex throughout different, different you know, uh, uh, weights, I suppose, in different shapes, because parts of me get bigger when I get bigger. So, um, so it's navigating the stomach, it's navigating the thighs, it's navigating the boobs. The boobs get bigger, thank God. And uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and then you know, really getting into your head and figuring out why, when I'm feeling not so sexy in a moment, why am I not feeling sexy? Is this is this me doing a you know? doing a, a thing on my own brain about uh, I'm not worthy. He's looking at this. He's judging me. No, I'm judging me, yeah. which is which which is what's happening when when you're worrying about what you look like. You yeah. know, you're judging it. Um, if they didn't want to be with you, they they wouldn't be there, mm. you yeah. know, um, and it's coming to accept that and accept it without uh, your your brain telling you that you're wrong. Mm, that's beautiful because those disruptive thoughts, well, are disruptive, right? Mm-hmm. So they really interfere with arousal. Oh yeah, pleasure. 
You can't enjoy it. You can't enjoy it if you're in your head. Um, Cindy teaches mindfulness and sex. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be doing that at Omega Institute mm-hmm. um, this uh, in June. A couple of weeks, yeah. A couple of weeks. And um, I think that is the most important thing when you're having body image issues and you're in the moment mm-hmm. is to really focus on what are you hearing? What are you tasting? What do you feel? What do you see? What are you feeling from this person? You know, um, tune into to what you see on their face, how you feel that their arousal is going, how you want to be aroused. How, how are they touching you? How could they touch you better? I mean, you know, you can go on and on and, and um, I think that is the way out of the toxic, you know, negative thoughts. Yeah. And the rewards from that are go so much beyond yeah. sex. If you can do that during sex, I think you'll be really powerful, not only because you'll get the pleasure benefits and the stress release and all of that, but then how much easier would it be to get rid of that negative self-talk that we don't even realize it's like so mechanical. Mm. It's always there mm. for so yeah. many people. Well, like in my class, in my curvy girl sex class, I talk about, you know, really notice how much you're judging other people. Because the amount that you're judging other people is about the amount that you're judging yourself. And we don't notice how much. I mean, I do it to myself. I'll walk down the street and I'll say, why is she wearing that to myself? And then I'll go, oh, that's interesting because I'm not feeling terrific about myself today. So it's always about me. It's never Mm. about the other person. It's Mm -hmm. always about me. That's so interesting because I went through um, a severe eating disorder Mm. and the, the healing process, one of the biggest rewards for me has been, and of course, you know, everybody occasionally has issues, but I noticed when I stopped judging other people so much to the point that people would say, oh, hey, did you notice that so-and-so gained so much weight? Are, what's wrong or whatever? And I'm like, I did not even notice. I mean, it's not like I didn't see the person, mm-hmm. but it didn't register to me to judge on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how much that that self-compassion is connected to how we view Yes, mm-hmm. and we're taught to judge. I mean, yeah. when we start at like two or three, I think we are, when we start mm-hmm. to notice that other people are are judging us or have an opinion about us. And then advertising doesn't do us any favors because we're supposed to we're supposed to judge that and go, that is what beauty is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's what they're telling us beauty is. Right. You know? And um, it's so subtle and it gets in there so early that it's really almost impossible to not have it enter your mind mm-hmm. at some point, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cindy, are these issues as extreme similar in Australia? I mean, we're in L.A., so it's kind of one of the epicenters of <laughs> poor body image influences. Um, is it? Does it come up as much in Absolutely. your work? Yeah. Absolutely. Because Australia is, you know, we're a very beach-oriented, outdoorsy kind of culture so and very sports-oriented, so there's a real emphasis on being slim, being fit, being, you know, able-bodied, all that stuff. So that's still very, very present in Australia. And, you know, we are still... Um, susceptible to the, you know, the the dominant Western narratives about being beautiful, about having money, about being, you know, having access to all the things that Australians still strive for that. If any, in some ways, I guess more because to some degree we sort of have a a lesser diversity. And back, you know, down in Australia, people don't really pay attention to what we're doing down there. So we're a little bit isolated. So things go on down there that the rest of the world doesn't really pay attention to and just get swept under the carpet. So we are still, you know, we're part of the world, but it's um, our voice doesn't necessarily get heard in the US or in Europe, um, but we are still very much influenced by the, the dominant values of the US and Europe. Yeah. Hollywood is just all-encompassing. Yeah. Yeah, and the way that it depicts sex and sexuality, too. And Mm -hmm. in some ways, I mean, how could you possibly... You couldn't really have a full arousal sex scene in a movie. It would be so much of the movie, right? Like, Mm -hmm. things happen in a snap. Yeah. But because there isn't education or very much education Mm -hmm. early on, you know, people turn to that. Um, Is is that something that you both uh, deal with in your in your education when you're talking with people, kind of the differences between the representations and what's more realistic? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I, I could easily say that 100% of the cases that present in clinical sex therapy with me are the direct result of a lack of, of adequate sex education. Because if people knew this stuff, they would not be struggling with that internal dialogue, like what Elle was saying about, in you know, the case of a lot of women, the beauty stuff. And for men, it's about penis size, it's about erections or the absence of erections and such things. And 
um, you know, in couples' relationships, the frequency of sex, are we doing it enough? And Elle and I were just having a conversation this morning about how I, you know, the perception of people are so invested in being normal that they would rather be normal than be content. Mm. And that they want to force themselves into this sort of, you know, what they consider to be a normal, healthy sexual relationship. And when I question that and say, well, what does that mean to you? And they'll say, oh, well, you know, we should be having sex 2.4 times a week and we should be, you know, and sex, of course, means penis in vagina sex and all this kind of stuff that I'm like, where, are you, where is this coming from? Where did you get this information? And when they break it down and they boil it down and look back and look back and look back and they say to me, I don't know where this comes from, but it's so ingrained, it's so pervasive, and it destroys people's well-being, and it needn't be that way if they gave themselves permission to do what I call the self-inquiry. What is important to me? What mm-hmm. makes me happy? Or even if happiness is too much to strive for, which for a lot of people it is, what makes me content? What would make me comfortable? What could I tolerate in this moment? And that's the kind of stuff that I like to teach people is to not worry about what everybody else is doing as much. You know, we take influence from what our friends are doing. But at the end of the day, you know, when we go to sleep at night, it's the voice in our head that is our companion. And how can we make friends with that voice? How can we soothe ourselves and be content with our relationship with our partners, with ourselves, and with our sexuality, whatever that looks like. And that's an ongoing process that doesn't just happen once and it changes throughout our lifetime. Mm -hmm. So this is why it's, you know, sex for teenagers and then sex for folks in their 20s is going to be different for people in their 40s and 50s and 60s. Our bodies change, our relationships with our sexuality changes, in a lot of cases our orientation changes. Um, And this is normal. This is part of the human sexuality spectrum. Yet people don't want to embrace that kind of normal. Mm. They want to embrace this other kind of normal, which in effect we've just made up. It's not real. <laughs> that's you know? so fascinating. Like mm. the thing that's normal is to be constantly changing. That's what's normal. But people yeah. don't want that, you know, because it's a little bit destabilizing. And I think, you know, the human condition, we're very invested in, um, you know, we want to be certain about things. We want security. And the reality is that you know, to a lot of us, it, that's really an illusion. And so part of the work that I do um, is in teaching folk to be more comfortable with the fluidity of sex, to be more comfortable with the fluidity of that sexuality is like water. You know, it changes. You can heat it up. You can cool it down. Sometimes it freezes. You can add a bit of salt. You can add a bit of flavor. <laughs> you can. It can be really bland if you want. But it's up to you what you do with it and your relationship with it. And our bodies are, what are they, like 75, 80% water? Yeah. So we have such a strong relationship to it. And if we try and stop the flow of water, it's going to get in. It's going to get through the cracks. You know, you can't stop it flowing in. Um, and if you don't have enough, then, you know, it makes you unwell. So our relate, we're so dependent on our relationship with sexuality that if, you know, you can push it away for a little bit, but all the energy that you spend trying to push it away is, is such a waste of energy when you can em- embrace it and, and start to explore a way of playing with sexuality that is fulfilling for you on your terms. And that's what I think a lot of folks get rattled by because they don't want to they don't want to have to think about it that much but it's so liberating and it's so much fun when you do it's creative and freeing gives you permission you know yeah that's really really beautiful Mm. and i think self-inquiry i love that that concept is scary in itself too Mm -hmm. to to look within and to Mm. and especially when you're in a relationship with somebody because i think there can be a fear of what if I'm changing this way and you're changing in that way? And, Mm -hmm. you know, people want that comfort and stability, but having comfort in the fluidity is a really, Mm -hmm. that's a really beautiful Mm -hmm. concept. I love that. I could listen to you for days, Cindy. (gasps) Well, lucky, you can. (laughs) I can. I can now. And this is you, fresh off a plane. I'm completely amazed. (laughs) Completely amazed. Elle, what is one really common sex pleasure myth that you find yourself constantly debunking? Uh, That you can have uh, the anal sex is going to hurt no matter what. And that it just happens like it does in porn. You know, there's no prep. There's no lube. There's just spit. I mean, it, it is really prevalent. The questions I get, I don't teach an anal sex class, but I get 
tons of questions about it afterwards. People will come up to me and they'll sort of whisper like, it really hurts, but my boyfriend really wants to have anal sex. And I'll, you know, have to tell them it should never hurt, you know, and then speak to them about the concept of using a lot of lube and going very slowly. And it's not going to happen the first night. And it should take it should take a while before, you know, you even have a finger in there. And, you know, and they they look at me wide eyed, like like they can't believe it, and then sometimes tell me, well, you know, my my boyfriend's not going to believe that, and I'll say it's because of porn. And don't get me wrong, I love the porn. I have a porn site, mm. but it is in no manner, way, shape, or form sex education. Right. So um, so then I have to tell them that to tell their tell tell their uh, partners that what they're seeing is like Charlie Glickman. Do you know Charlie Glickman? I've met him. Yes, met I know him. his work. He's, He's wonderful. Great, great sex educator. He says, um, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, learning how to have sex from a from a, a porn movie is like learning to drive from a stunt driver. Oh, I like mm-hmm. that. It's good yeah. because it makes sense, right? Yep. These are these are athletes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. They are um, they're doing everything for the camera. So so that is that is the one biggest thing I get asked about that, and I asked get asked about deep throating a lot. Is that also because of porn? Would you say? Yes, I don't think that it is. It wouldn't be a thing uh, that is so uh, prevalent uh, unless it was in porn. Because it's very mm. visually it's, enticing in a way, like it's something you can show, whereas you can't easily show a lot of the positions where, you know, the clitoris, for example, is has to be like front and center, you know, so it yeah. might not be stimulated on camera. Right, right. And, you know, there's so much, um, it's so rife with a power thing. And, you know, there's there's this idea that it feels different and that it, it gives a better uh, orgasm or, you know, there are mm. all these myths sort of surrounding it that, um, that I love to dispel because I don't think anyone should be deep throating if they don't want to. Um, but some people enjoy it, so why not teach them how? And mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I have so. a funny story. Uh, somebody approached me at a writers' conference and, and knew about my blog, and so she had some questions. And it turned out that she thought that her boyfriend really wanted anal often because he was pursuing that. And she didn't like it, and she found it fairly painful and all this, as you were saying. And when she finally had a conversation with him, he was so relieved because he didn't enjoy it either. He was doing it because he thought she wanted it from porn. Wow, wow. It's amazing how much we just, it's just that missing piece of of connection, Mm -hmm. knowing what you do want, Mm -hmm. and then also Mm -hmm. that communication piece. Yeah, oh, yeah. And that fear, I guess, around communicating it, the anxiety of, as I think for a lot of folks, you know, doing sex, whatever kind, you know, anal, vaginal, whatever, um, doing it is easier than talking about it. So going into that default of let's just do it and kind of, it's almost like let's just get this over with so then we can get back to, you know, cuddling or whatever it is that we were doing before because talking about sex, we're not taught how to talk about it. We're not taught how to sit with the discomfort that can come up with having a conversation about sex. Um, and that if, you know, I like a thing and you don't like a thing, then it means, does that mean we have to break up? You know, that kind of stuff that we tend to go down to these slippery slopes of dramatic conclusions that if our libidos aren't the same, if our if our desires aren't the same, then our relationship's screwed, you know. Which are like, ever two libidos <laughs> exactly the same? No, I mean, even the same of course person. Not. Like today, tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> like it's just, but this is the thing. It's this, the absence of sex education, being able to navigate those spaces in our lives that are so and normal that <laughs> that we just don't have the capacity to talk about this stuff without losing our minds and otherwise really kind of helpful healthy relationships can get destroyed simply through a lack of of the capacity to communicate about this stuff yeah so where do we go from there for somebody who is completely anxious or nervous or resistant to having that communication where do you mm. start I think the help first thing is in recognizing um, recognizing that you're that that's what's going on recognizing that the discomfort is because not because there's something wrong with you but because you care because you want for things to be okay you want for yourself to be okay or you want for you the, whatever is the situation between you and your partner to be okay to recognize that it's coming from a place of wanting to connect that can be a really helpful self-soothing 
uh, realization to have. And then working out how do you phrase things. So some people like to work from a script. Some people um, might find it helpful going to see a therapist or see a coach or whatever to be able to talk about that stuff in the presence of an independent third party. Sometimes it's just easier. Um, or another thing can be, you know, if it is information that you want, going to different websites, watching different videos, reading different books and sharing that knowledge together so it doesn't feel like one person is blaming the other one and saying, well, you're the one with the problem, like you're the one who wants anal all the time because you're the pervert as opposed to, um, what you know, what what is this discussion about anal that's not happening, you know, the elephant in the room, that kind of thing. Yeah. So shifting it away from a whose fault is it conversation to a how can we make our sex life um, more interesting or more fulfilling conversation mm. is often a, a more heart-centered way of establishing that kind of thing. The, what you're looking for anyway is the connection because if you didn't care about the connection, you wouldn't be bothering to have the conversation, you know. Yeah. So it's that... Yeah. It, it's that it, there's so many layers and so many things that feed into it. So I guess the first thing is recognizing that you give a shit is a really uh, compassionate place to start. Mm, I love that. Blaming yourself less. Mm, and then exactly. Blaming yeah. others less too. Mm. So interesting. How do people respond as they go through the journey of embracing their physicality? And I know there are people who, you know, haven't enjoyed sex at all, perhaps because of um, barriers in their body image or shame. Do you hear from readers? I know you have your book. You also have a, a coloring book. Yes. <laughs> you must. You must get uh, responses. What are they saying? I I think. Uh, well, mostly I haven't gotten any negative responses yet, so that's great. But you know, day the day is young. Um, <laughs> we'll see. Um, you know, I just get I get a lot of people that just say. I haven't thought about it this way before. They haven't thought about the judgment of other people. They haven't thought about really the nuts and bolts of attraction between partners and how how we all, like sometimes I'll say, think back to all the partners that you've had. Or if you haven't had any partners, think about a friend's partners or whatever. Do they all look the same? I've never met anyone that say they all look the same, you know? So why is that? It's because we like diversity. We love diversity. And and um, I think body, body shape, body weight, um, different types of bodies, able bodies, you know, disabled bodies um, are... Uh, are attractive and sexiness comes from within. It doesn't come from uh, what you look like. Um, I dated someone once and I said, are, have you always been into large women? You know, I, you know I thought I'd just ask, you know, and he said, he said he didn't really understand the question because for him it was all about if someone had a sense of their own sexuality. Mm. and said to me, if there was a 400-pound woman that had a sense of her sexuality and a supermodel standing next to her, he'd take the 400-pound woman every time. Mm. And um, and then, of course, I had to have sex with him again. So, <laughs> that's, that's your a, community it, service. It's, Good on you. You. Know, I had to, you know, positive reinforcement. Absolutely. I love you know. that. I love so, that. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that's really sort of uh, the big awakening for people when they really, really realize, oh, my goodness, you know, uh, I can be attractive to other people and the sexiness does come from within me. It doesn't it's not it's not something that someone uh, uh, dawns on me. It is something that I I give out. It struck me as you were talking that so often people want to change themselves and they're thinking of how they can change their body. Like, how yeah. can I get rid of this part or hide this part or accentuate it's this It's never part? done. You're never done. Never. Never right? ever done. No. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting my teeth whitened right now because it's always bothered me that my teeth were yellow. And I'm thinking, and I just sort of, you know, just daydreaming. I'm like, oh, maybe I should get my teeth straightened on top. And then I went, stop it. It's not going to end. You don't care about your teeth. You the don't care. Line keeps moving. Yeah, it just keeps on moving. And you know, I don't have anything against people getting plastic surgery. They can do whatever they want. I just ask that they ask themselves what the reason is that they're doing it, yeah. and be real with themselves about it, whatever it is. Um, because if it's if it's the reason of I want to be sexier, I want to be this. Well, 
keep on getting surgery because mm. it's not going to change. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It becomes it can yeah. be very addictive to yeah. to to change, and it you just never ever reach it, and then all the energy goes there. Mm-hmm. So rather than change, for example, a sex position, right? Exactly. Like, wh- that doesn't occur. I mean, it's just like. Why would I think of how I could work with what I have Yes, and, and enjoy what I have? And some people are embarrassed if they have to change a sex position or alter it in a certain way in order to get into a position that they want to. And giving them permission to use a pillow or to lift up their stomach or pull apart their thighs. It, it is something that seems so monumental in the moment, but really is of no consequence in the scheme of things. Uh, the person you're with just wants to do it. They just want to do it the best way possible. They want to have a good time and and whatever's going to make that easier. Yeah. I mean, the way you describe it, it just sounds really fun. That yeah. You just pull this over here and try yeah. this. And <laughs> I mean, sex is inelegant at best yeah. anyway, right? Right, mm. right. So there's exactly. an elbow and an eye and, you know, yeah, a hand yeah, yeah. on some hair. Is there a position in your book that you particularly love? Yes. In- I have a favorite, and it's called The Ohm. Mm. And... Um, uh, my partner showed me this, actually. And it's um, laying down on, you know, the receivers on their back, laying with their legs up in the air. And the giver comes fr- from behind on their knees and then um, enters and then takes the legs and swings them over to one side while the back is still straight or trying to be straight. And... Um, it's just a really, for me personally, for my body, it feels fantastic. And mm. so that is, and it's it's something anybody can do, really. And is it ohm because ohm? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sort of. It sounds, I'll tell you later. Okay, okay. Sounds like a good story. It made me think of uh, the mindfulness, though. Yes. Which I know is, is very important, being present together. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about why that is so crucial. I know you, you mentioned knowing what your own desires are. Yeah. Beyond that, why is that so important for a couple? It's helpful <clears throat> because it means that you're more able to experience what it is you're doing. So what can happen to a lot of folks in the middle of sex, and when I say sex, I mean all kinds of practices, uh, what can happen is that you can be thinking about everything except what you're doing. So like Elle was saying that, you know, does my does my butt look big? Does my tummy look big? Are my boobs too drippy? Does my pussy smell bad? You know, whatever. Um, that when our minds tend to get so focused on everything except having a good time, we're not able to be in the moment. We're not able to connect. And so when I speak to women in particular who will be, you know, in their 30s, 40s, whatever, and they'll say, I've never had an orgasm, which is unfortunately really common. And my first question to them is always, where's your mind during sex? What are you thinking about? And in 100% of cases, they'll tell me that they're thinking about everything except what they're doing. And that is the crucial distinction between being there and not being there. And it takes practice. It, it is a practice in the same way that you practice guitar or piano or yoga or whatever your thing is. It is a practice. You must do it with vigor and commitment. <laughs> because to shut down that little monkey Vigorously in your mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to shut that monkey down takes, really, it takes practice. But it is the only way through, um, through, through the minefield of of not being present. And I know that present is a buzzword. Everyone's like, ooh, you know, are you present? Are we present? Are we present? What's happening presently? You know, it's like, ooh, present. <laughs> but it really, it is the thing. And and it is the difference between having a, an okay time and having a great time. That is so powerful. I actually did a experiment with myself using our toy of the month, which I'm going to give a shout out to quickly here. Um, it is the Vibratex Rabbit Habit Original Deluxe. Oh my God, do I love that toy! You used it, yeah. Oh my God, it's amazing, right? It's amazing. That yeah. and the Magic Wand Rechargeable from Vibratex is amazing. Oh, I haven't tried that one. Oh, yeah. The the, the Vibratex is um, it's 
first of all, at the Pleasure Chest. You mm-hmm. can purchase it there or on their website, thepleasurechest.com. But it's like the original rabbit, but yep. it's quieter, mm-hmm. more powerful. It has like this whole dashboard of buttons. <laughs> wow. I mean, even before you play with it sexually, it's fun to just like yeah. push all these things and it like dances <laughs> it's around. satisfying, and... isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I know. Oddly, tactily satisfying. Totally, mm. totally. And it's body safe and all the things I love about any toy. Um, but... It's so intense. Mm-hmm. And I used to not like vibrators for that reason. I always have preferred dildos since I started using toys. Um, but I've I've grown to really appreciate them, especially when I can change the pace and all of that. And so many experts have said slowing down is so important, mm-hmm. which I've tried to take to heart because I, I tend to uh, not slow down and, and to be much more, um, instead of letting my whole body feel, you know, mm. just kind of goal oriented. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, and, and having orgasm be this, you know, yeah. I'm going there. Mm. <laughs> That's what this is about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I had a guest on Mona, Mona Darling who's a, a dominatrix oh, yeah. mama. Yeah. She's amazing. And she was talking about orgasm control. And I thought, I wonder if I should try it with this, like, That'd be an interesting. Mm-hmm. And because it was so powerful and I didn't want to come so fast. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to slow it down and to stop myself gradually and give myself breaks. And it did a really interesting thing to my mind beyond the sexual part where afterwards I felt so much more serene. Like I had been meditating, but it was orgasmic. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was really fascinating to me. And I, I wonder, are there ways to practice with toys and with masturbation as well, with your hands, um, to work on that mindfulness? Because it is that interesting contrast of like euphoria and calm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, in I think practicing masturbation um, without having orgasm as a goal, but more about having exploration and sensation as um, something that you're curious about. So we want to be facilitating curiosity by going, what happens if I touch this part with this particular pressure or this particular speed or this particular stroke or this toy with this lube um, for this amount of time? What happens? How does my body respond? So it's a, it's kind of like approaching the body um from a sort of a mapping point of view, getting a sense of how does the body respond at different points at different times and for cis women at different at points in their cycle as well. So that you your clitoris may or may not respond um, with more sensation at certain, certain times in your menstrual cycle for women who are uh, still menstruating um, than others. And paying attention to that can be useful moving forward in partnered sex because when you know that about your body, then that's information that you can share with any potential partners. And that presence of mind to facilitate curiosity rather than outcomes and goals actually gives you a broader color palette to work with because then you can go okay so these are the color ranges that I have available to me at this time of the month or at this time of morning or evening or whatever because that'll also change Um, and it's less about am I doing it right and more about what happens if and we, we, we recreate that sense of playfulness that's present in us when we're children that we forget about as we become adults especially with sex because we don't want to feel vulnerable we don't want to feel uncomfortable or like we're the odd one out that you know I'm an adult I should know this Uh, you know yeah it's interesting how there's almost equal shame around not knowing something Mm -hmm. you know just to admit that you don't Mm -hmm. as there is about asking the question yeah yeah Mm -hmm. what what is one um, kind of physiological piece that you think about all different genitalia um, that we should be taught and most people just or a lot of people just don't know whether it's about the clitoris or the penis or from a pleasure standpoint. For me, it's go slow. You know, don't don't go right for it and just be gentle and go slow. So I think, again, we, we see this on television or we see it in porn and it's just going boom, boom, mm, boom, boom, mm, boom. And, mm. you know, uh, clitorises are, are very, can be very sensitive. They could also, you know, you just don't know how that is for each person. Mm-hmm. Same with penises, you know? Some pe- some penis owners like a really firm grip. Some don't. Some just like the head. Some don't, you know? Um, so it's always, you know, go slow and be gentle, for me, at least. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, um, the most common thing that I have to teach over and over is that the 
the vaginal canal doesn't have a lot of nerve endings in it, that it's not especially sensitive. And people are surprised, even vagina owners are surprised at that because, again, the narrative is, you know, you stick something in a vagina, a finger, a toy, a dick, whatever, um, and it's the most amazing sensation in the world. And for some people it is some of the time, sure. But for a lot of people it's... You know, it's kind of the same as sort of sticking a finger in your mouth. It can be done incredibly sensually and feel exquisitely erotic, or it can feel like you're at the dentist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it depends on how it's done because there are are fewer nerve endings in the vagina than there are in the mouth. Mm, And so that sort of dullness or numbness is not the right word, but there's a dulling sensation that happens uh, vaginally that um, can confuse a lot of people because the narrative is it's supposed to be earth-shattering and for a lot of the vast majority of vagina owners, it's really not. And the G-spot too, it seems, has gotten a lot of attention for people like trying to find it, wanting mm-hmm. to find it, um, which I think it's wonderful. Mm. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pleasure yeah. there. I, I experience a lot of pleasure there. Mm. Um, but do you feel like there's too much focus on it? I think, um, I mean, it seems to be now that the, the, I don't want to say consensus, but, you know, uh, the the common understanding is that it is effectively the back of the clitoris, which would make sense because of its location, its placement and the kind of stimulation that it needs and that we know how big the clitoris is now that when a clitoris is fully aroused and fully engorged and swollen and you press on it because, you know, when you're looking for the G-spot, you don't get much sensation if there's no arousal present. But when arousal is present, which means that the clitoris is engorged, it means you're going to get more stimulation. So pressing in that neighborhood uh, for erotic response is going to happen and it's likely to be the back of the um, the back of the clitoris in conjunction with the urethral sponge and the whole squirt thing which is a whole other story but um, I think again that's where folks are looking for the the g-spot and if they're not aroused enough they're not going to get much of a sensation because you're not aroused enough you need to spend more time getting aroused, doing whatever it is that gets you aroused. Yeah. Do you still find that people think the clitoris is just on the outside? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. It's still called the pleasure button pretty often. Oh, my goodness. The pleasure button. Yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yeah. When I do my classes, I do a little bit of pleasure anatomy, and people are always looking at at me like I have six heads when I go, see, it's like a wishbone, and it goes back into the body. And and they they look at me like, wow, really? I find that a lot with just random, random people. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, people are still confused about that. Yeah, mm. and also they're confused too. I think I don't know, Cindy, if you've you've discovered this, but um, that the G spot isn't the the shiznit for everybody. Yeah, right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and, or sometimes it is, and sometimes it is. Mm. It can be a very fickle friend. So. Um, so yeah, so you read all these magazines and and it'll say find the G spot, have the G spot orgasm, mm. and now now there's a G spot orgasm I'm supposed to have, you yeah. know. So, um, are there really lots of types of orgasm? I mean, is that how you even want to see it, or is it kind of there's just different anatomy and different ways that? But so mm. much with a person with a vulva and a clitoris, it seems like so much of it, the orgasmic pleasure sensation comes from parts of it. Yeah. Does it matter if we categorize? I think it's really helpful um, for folks, um, particularly the research that's been done in that area around folks who are living with disabilities, who either are um, paraplegic or quadriplegic, had an accident or something like this, and have had um, severing of the nerves in the genitals, that the knowledge now is that um, the vagus nerve, which travels from the brain down through the spine, will innovate the cervix um, and that for some people some of the time cervical orgasms are a thing that may or may not have been able or may or may not have been possible in previous um, uh, states of being I guess Um, but what all orgasms have in common whether they be genital based ones or 
um, orgasms that can occur. There have been cases of orgasms occurring in feet and in little fingers and things like this. If the neural pathways have been broken in the genitals due to an accident, that the brain will somehow, in some cases, be able to rewire the pleasure information to go to the fingers and toes and lips and places like this. But it's what's going on at a neurological level. These changes are occurring in the brain, that the brain is, you know, the concept of neuroplasticity that we know about now. We know only this tiny, tiny amount, but more and more we're realizing that the brain is able to uh, create pleasure pathways that weren't there, but all, all orgasms, whether they're genital or fingers or wherever, they all require firing in the brain, and that's what they all have in common. Mm, and so even orgasms that happen simply through breath, this is where it intersects with Tantra, is about the brain firing yeah, again. Yeah, the biggest sex organ, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. so interesting. I actually met the scientist who discovered that uh, mm-hmm. in the in people who didn't have sensation with yeah. the MRI studies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he said that people just crying, uh, I mean, they never thought they'd be able to have that. Yeah pleasure and it's just and just to know that we know that little bit too mm-hmm. is pretty amazing tiny tiny little bit imagine what what's really possible, possible. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. gosh you're both so fascinating uh and i know you have wonderful classes coming up and people can learn more from you would you both share what's coming up next and how people can learn more about your uh, well, this weekend this sunday uh june 4th i will be at uh shebop in portland teaching curvy sex so um she bought the shop.com to get tickets and uh and i think there are a few left so yay come awesome. see me in portland <laughs> and buy your her book oh yes please buy my book a curvy girl sex and the, and the, the coloring, coloring book which is yes. awesome nsfw totally curvy coloring book and totally naughty coloring book they're very 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 um uh, sexually explicit, so <laughs> so please know that they're not for children. It's V V V V. Yes, that's right. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. How about you, Cindy? What's coming up? So I'm going to be teaching a two and a half day workshop at the Omega Institute in New York, and that's happening uh, June 16 through 18. And um, you can get information about that from the Omega website or from my website, which is cindydarnell.com, C-Y-N-D-I-D-A-R-N-E-L-L.com. There's still places. Um, it is a workshop for couples, but you can just come with a friend because the activity, none of the activities are especially explicit. Um, but it is, uh, the, the workshop's called Sacred Sexuality. So it's a whole weekend dedicated to the practices of blending Tantra and mindfulness and sacred sexuality. So everybody's welcome, all genders, all orientations. Beautiful. And one last bit of advice that I could squeeze out of you and we still have time. What's one sex tip that you feel like is under um, promoted? Uh, breathe. Breathe, 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 breathe. Um, it's it's surprising how many people don't breathe when they're about to mm-hmm. come, um, when they're getting aroused. Pay attention to your breath. Get Barbara Corellis's bra- uh, book, Urban yeah, Tantra. Absolutely, she has amazing um, breath exercises there, um, and it's just a fantastic book. Anyway, um, yeah, breath, breathing. Mm-hmm. And I think I would say, your body knows what to do. Trust your body; it knows what to do. If it if it is having a good time, it's having a good time. If it needs a break, it needs a break. That your body knows what it to do when it comes to sex. Powerful. Mm. Thank you both again for being here. Thank you. Such a treat for me. Thank you. It's a pleasure meeting you. Yeah. You as well. You as well. Everyone listening, please check out their sites. You can find links on my website, augustmclaughlin.com, to find more of their amazingness. And if you're listening on iTunes and haven't subscribed yet, I hope you will. And if you don't mind, leave us a simple review. I so appreciate the support. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. <laughs> <laughs>